This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome to the Friday Sporting Edition of Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Richard Hewitt. Coming up, Fiji's best young male soccer players out to impress at the FIFA Under-20 World Cup. This tournament is to um, put the nation on the world map that this is a footballing nation. And our personal goal is at least some of us can procure a professional contract from Europe or Asia. Former Tonga captain Anoki Afiaki hits out at World Rugby sanctions on the FRU. They know that the smaller countries are struggling with finances. Why not encourage the best of the best who are running successful businesses in Fiji to be the ones running it, not politicians? And it's win or bust for Solomon Warriors against Suva in the battle for an OFC Champions League semi-final spot. We really want to get to the finals. It's about five or six times we've been to the OFC competition league already. So we really want to get to the top two. More to come on the battle to be soccer champions of Oceania later in the programme. First, though, the final round of the World Rugby Men's Seven Series kicks off in London over the weekend, with New Zealand set to be crowned champions. Barring some unexpected results, Fiji will finish no higher than third, but their place at the Paris Olympics is secure. Samoa still have an outside chance of claiming an Olympic place for the first time, but their recent form does not bode well. Meanwhile, four teams will be competing for the 12th and final place in the New Look World Sevens core group next season. Those four are Uruguay, Kenya, Canada and Tonga after they won the Challenger Series in South Africa. So how will this mini tournament play out and uh, can Tonga make it? Joining us from London is their team manager, Richard Waitman. Uh, Richard, good evening to you over there in the UK. Yeah, good evening. But, uh, just background noise has just stopped, but we've had the uh, church bells ringing in the background in London, which is uh, considering how important faith is to our Tongan boys. It might be a, a good sign. Yeah, well, well, we'll take that as an omen. Uh, I mean, the fact that Tonga are involved in, in this uh, showdown with Uruguay, Kenya and Canada, I mean, that in itself is enormous progress for the team. But do you think they're good enough to make that jump into the core group against three sides that have had a whole season in the core playing the top teams? Look, I think, uh, you know, the program, um, particularly with head coach Davida Tafua and just the way he leads the, the group, um, the fitness programs that's been put in behind uh, by uh, Tony Ligaliga and back in, uh, who's been doing that out in New Zealand when we've been camping there. Um, the boys are fit, so they'll certainly compete on the fitness and, and from the technical side of the game with the, with the coaching that Tavita's been giving them. But just to give people an idea of, of what Tonga are up against uh, this weekend, um, Canada have, have not had the greatest series, uh, hence the reason why they're in, in this playoffs uh, over the weekend. But they did make the semifinals uh, just last week. So it, it, gives, it gives people an idea of who you're going to have to beat and how well you're going to have to play. Oh, 100%. You know, we're, we're coming in as the underdog. You've got Canada who knocked over Australia, made the semifinals last week. You've got Kenya who've been on the circuit since ever and you've got Uruguay who really were probably thinking they weren't going to be playing this game until Spain upset Samoa and, and sneaked ahead of them because they were actually ahead of uh, Spain heading into the last uh, tournament so you know you've got three quality teams that have been on the series uh, you know had that match fitness from last week so certainly um, don't want to underestimate uh, we know we know we're, we're going in for the big challenge this, this weekend. And what will the format be? How will they decide uh, which of the four will go into the core group next season? 
So each team will play each other once, so, and then the top two will play in a final win. And it's probably, you know, I'd say it's probably going to end up being more exciting than the main final with New Zealand already being winners and most likely the final Olympic spot will be decided before the final. So, you know, this game will be played just before, it's the game before the, the final of the of the main World Series draw. So um, just talking to a couple of the guys that head up World Rugby before, Seven's program, and they're like, they're expecting this to be, you know, a pretty sought-after spot. So there'll be a fair bit of excitement on this game. Now, the final game. Let's be optimistic. Let's say that Tonga can do this. Um, what happens then? Because I, I gather getting into the core group is just the start of it, really. It's an expensive business, and um, the money's not that easy to find. Oh, no, no I think you find that for teams. Um, you know, a lot of the teams that will be vying for that spot, um, you know, having the financial backing is going to be absolutely critical. But if you get on that world spot, hopefully that'll open up the door for more sponsorship. You know, it's a bit easier, to, I suppose, for you know to be able to ask the sponsorship if you can say, well, I'm going to be playing in these tournaments. This is where I'm going to be playing, rather than sort of saying, well, we're just not sure where we're we're going to be playing. We might play a couple of qualifying games, but we'll find out later in the year. Whereas here, you'll be able to go to people and say, well, you know, and I'm hoping that there will be some companies out there that look at, hey, being on the front of the Tongan jersey playing in the World Series, they'd, they'd love to be a part of that. And regardless, really, of the outcome of the four-way competition this weekend, I mean, this is as far as Tonga has come in a long, long time on, on the World Seven circuit, and it bodes well for the future, doesn't it? Oh, you've got to be hugely proud of this young group of men. And look, you know, um, they started off by you know, winning the Oceania Series in Brisbane, um, which was the first trophy they'd won in a long time, uh, you know, and then you look at the performances in Hamilton and Sydney and Hamilton, they you know they've knocked over Great Britain. They actually beat Uruguay. So the last time we played Uruguay, we actually beat Uruguay. And then in Sydney, we beat Kenya and Canada and um, also knocked over Japan. And we only lost to Argentina by two points in the last play of the game. So the last time we've played the three teams we were playing in this playoff, um, we registered wins against them. But like I say, it's so uh, the quality of the side we've got certainly, I believe, um, can compete on the World Series. But it's different when you're playing knockout games now. But the quality of the guys um, certainly um, certainly can take that spot and then compete well on the World Series. So do you get the sense that it's as much as the way this plays out in the, in the minds, in the heads of, of the Tongan players, as much as compared to what actually happens on the field? Because, as you say, they know they can beat these teams. Oh, and, and that's probably the good thing. They, they know they're not going into this game where we haven't beat these teams. And, I mean, to push Argentina that close um, in Sydney, uh, you know, and, and where they are sitting on the world rankings, the guys have got the belief, so that's good. But sevens is a game where it's moments of seconds, you know. If you do, you know, accidentally, you know, tapping the ball down, you get a yellow card and you're two minutes out of your 14, you've got someone in the bin, those type of things. So it's, it's, it comes down to those, I suppose, the one percenters and... I know all four of the teams going into this are, are very nervous because it's just the prize is so massive for what it means for for you, but certainly for us and Tonga. I mean, the guys just want to do this for their their kingdom, you know. Like uh, never been on the World Series and the passion that, that these guys show for it. Uh, yeah, it's pretty special to be around, to be honest. This week. And what about yourself? Uh, sometimes being on the sidelines is harder than being out there. A little nervous. Oh, definitely, it's, it's actually 30 years indirectly playing um, um, with a lot of the Tongan boys right back in the day with their, their sons and our playing professional rugby. Um, 
you know, it's I don't think I've ever been as nervous. You know, just that it's it's a good nervousness going into this week that I'm just I'm just just uh, got that nervousness, excited nervousness that to see these guys, you know, um, you know, just what they achieved in South Africa can't be underestimated. Like to go through two big tournaments and come out the overall champions, you know, and you know, and to get that trophy back to be taken back to Tonga is, is massive, but. You know, if we can get this World Series spot there. So there's a huge amount of nervousness, particularly just to, for the boys. I know how much it means to them. Well, we wish you uh, every success. So we've got our fingers crossed for Tonga. It will be great to see them up there in uh, the core group of 12 next season alongside Fiji and Samoa. A quarter of the top 12 nations in the world could be oh. from the Pacific, which would be amazing. Oh, it's got some great young talent coming through to that. Keep an eye on young Kyra and Talmo Falau. You know, at 19, seeing a kid like that, who's based in New Zealand, committing to Tonga. And, you know, he, he was one of the top try scorers in Hamilton, Sydney. Scored another 12 tries and, um, in South Africa. So, you know, and you've got the guys like Tiali Pakalani and our leader, Siani Tupo and Rodney Tongatea and John Tapuila, really. So some of the more senior guys around. But it's great to see these young talents. And also five of the guys are actually based locally, playing locally club, you know, for their clubs back in Tonga. So it's, it's pretty cool, yeah. Well, as I say, we'll have our fingers crossed uh, for you and I think all rugby supporters across the Pacific, regardless of which country they, they would normally support, they'll be backing Tonga this weekend. So, fingers crossed. Hope it all goes well. Thank you so much for joining us from the UK, Richard. Best of luck. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. Cheers, Dave. Bye. Richard Waitman, team manager for the Tongan Rugby Seven sides, so Uruguay, Kenya, Canada, standing in their way for, of a place in the uh, core group of 12, as it will be on the World Rugby Sevens series next season. Let's hope they can do it. It's Richard Hewitt with the Friday Morning Sporting Edition and the former captain of Tonga's National Men's 15. Inoki Afiaki has come out swinging at World Rugby, accusing them of failing to deal effectively with governance issues in the Pacific. The Fiji Rugby Union has been given until January to put its house in order and until it does, its single vote on the World Rugby Council has been suspended. Inoki Afiaki says what the ruling body has done is nothing more than tokenism and has come far too late anyway after years of mismanagement within the FRU. A member of the board with Pacific Rugby Players Welfare, the former Akali Tahi skipper, says World Rugby has allowed political involvement in the running of the game in the Pacific to go on for far too long. It's an interesting situation. This problem that Fiji and other unions in Tonga are no exception. We have interference and we have prime ministers of our country that end up running rugby at the rugby unions and especially Fiji where unfortunately there's manslaughter charges on uh, certain people there. And it's just all the wrong signals. And this is well early. The World Rugby have done nothing about it until now. And you've got to ask the question, why? Why now? There's a lot wrong with the system, misuse, and World Rugby are in the position to say stop it, and they've, they've not until now. You made the reference to manslaughter charges and, and reference clearly to the former chairman, Francis Keane, who basically was forced off the World Rugby Council where he was representing Fiji uh, some years ago when the, his past uh, became known to those who apparently knew nothing about him at World Rugby. But they ordered an investigation into him, his homophobic comments that were caught on tape with something else they were going to look at. And yet that inquiry... Yeah disappeared. It was handed over to the Fiji Rugby Union and there's never been a result. Correct. And uh, they are the, the little body on the sport and they should play a bigger role in saying what behaviour is acceptable or not. That's basic stuff. And unfortunately, by not acting strong early, you're left with governments, small countries, and Fiji are actually you know, a bigger economy than Tonga and Samoa, but you've got to wonder 
okay, so where's the money coming from? So you're dipping into the government purse, and that money could be better spent on hospitals and schools, surely. So you've got the wrong people running it, people that don't have the, the nous or the knack of business of, of making that money grow. Surely World Rugby have to understand that. If they, if they know that the smaller countries are struggling with finances, why not encourage the best of the best commercial people involved in the country who are running successful businesses in Fiji and, and whichever little country they're in to be the ones running it, not politicians. It's, again, common sense. We should know this. The world knows this. Uh, why is World Rugby ignoring it? I lose my faith in those big decision makers when they do behave in this manner. And it's for us, the rugby public, to call them out. And we just have to continue until they're red-faced about it. I recall what once asking a question about about this aspect to, uh, to a representative from Oceania Rugby. And the answer I was given was that the reason that World Rugby tolerate political involvement in the Pacific against their own rules, it has to be said, is because it means they get government money. Exactly, exactly. So schools miss out. Kids are walking barefoot to school. Uh, hospitals are not getting their medicine. Is that the way to go rugby? No, it's not. Stop it. Let people who are good at running business in there and keep the politicians out, period. So when you hear Frank Bainimarama, who, who, of course, when he was Prime Minister of Fiji, was also president of the Fiji Rugby Union and, and held on to that role for a little while after he lost the election, saying just last week, it was fine when I was there. Now it's all gone wrong because there's government involvement. Nobody really seems to be honest about this, do they? World Rugby should know better. They've got amazing people. They've been to amazing universities. They know how the world runs. So they're allowing our politicians and our smaller islands to behave in a manner that it's just not, yeah, they should know better. Don't let them behave the way they do. Even the policies in amongst government on our islands pretty much lay out they should not be part of sport, but they ignore that. So again, it's all the signs or the flags have been raised and will rugby continue to behave in a manner that they feel that they have to go in this direction because the money is with government and the decision makers there are going to make rugby a priority. So again, rugby's got to question its own values on the pattern and the behavior that they've shown. I feel sorry that I'm blaming World Rugby for this, but they are the parent body. They've got the final say. They set behavior. And it's, it's that leadership that they rugby desperately needs. Uh, and if they don't, they'll just let the people of power dictate what they do against policy, against guidelines on good governance. And then they preach good governance. It's just really confusing for people at the bottom just to see the preaching of good governance not being done. And it does seem that the Pacific nations, uh, Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, come under perhaps more scrutiny than others. I mean, all three have had sanctions imposed on them by World Rugby at one time or another in in the last few years. Do you think perhaps World Rugby needs to look wider? They need to look at the whole of the game. I mean, you've talked about, as I understand it, a third-party assessment of corruption. So clearly you feel it's not just in the Pacific where things go wrong. No, no, this is across the world. And the more advanced countries have got more subtle ways of being corrupt. And even the way the, the current voting system of who, who's in the council that can vote isn't fair to a lot of people. I mean, Japan and got a third vote, and then they've got that fourth vote because they can highly influence the Asia-Rugby Union combination. Tonga doesn't even have one vote. We share a vote in Oceania, but we don't get to dictate what that vote is. And we outfit like 20, 30% of the Japanese players. I guess I'll always have an issue because I don't see the fairness in it. I don't see the preaching of the values that World Rugby are big on. 
being real because the guys at the top are still more about power than they are about leadership. We talked about world rugby being late to the party in terms of uh, taking action against the Fiji Rugby Union, but what they haven't done is they ha- they haven't penalised them in terms of being able to compete in tournaments around the world. They haven't penalised them financially, but for now at least they've taken away their solitary vote on the World Rugby Council. Uh, and I would yeah. argue, frankly, that isn't going to make an awful lot of difference because whilst it's nice no, it to, to be represented, they have no great say on the world front. One vote will take them nowhere. Exactly. Exactly. So it's basically just a slap on the wrist. It doesn't stop the behaviour and nothing changes. So in 20 years' time, we'll be having the same conversation. Yes, I suspect he may be right. Uh, former Ekalitahi captain Anoki Afiaki on the line from Wellington uh, on the field. A big match tomorrow for uh, Fijiana, uh, the national women's team from Fiji up against Australia's national women's team, the Wallaroos. That match being played in Sydney. A lot of new caps in the Fijiana lineup, plus some returning players who've been uh, playing overseas. So it could be a pretty close clash, that one. And it'll be the curtain raiser to the Super Rugby Pacific game between the Fijian Andrua and the Warriors. Uh, with the Fijian and Drua looking to get back into the top eight and hopefully seal a finals place uh, come the end of the home and away season. And uh, before that, this evening at Mount Smart Stadium in Auckland, uh, Moana Pacifica still looking for their first win. They're up against the Crusaders, who apparently are putting out a very different lineup. So I'm not sure what that says about the Crusaders' attitude to that game, but at Moana, it's certainly desperate to get that win. <laughs> And Kyle Evans is here to take a look at uh, one or two of the stories uh, making headlines this morning. Kyle, welcome. Happy Friday to you, Richard. Thank you very much indeed. And um, we were going to get a visit from the US president. He's not coming anymore, but he's sending a substitute. That's right. So uh, James Marape, uh, PNG Prime Minister, has announced that the Secretary of State, uh, Anthony Blinken, will be coming instead. And uh, he apparently announced this after um, interrupting a press conference to take a phone call from Mr. Biden himself. And uh, in that phone call, Mr. Biden said he directed Secretary Blinken to arrive on Monday and meet for a bilateral meeting uh, with PNG officials, as well as a regional meeting uh, with uh, other Pacific Island leaders. And in that phone call, I understand Mr. Biden also, again, conveyed his sincerest apologies uh, for his absence. And uh, and he's invited Mr. Marape, as well as other Pacific leaders, this to Washington later this year for a US summit, which I believe, if it goes, it goes ahead, would, would be the second of the year, Richard. Yes, it's rapidly becoming a second home for the Pacific leaders of Washington, D.C. Now, did Mr. Marape address the proposed security agreement that was supposed to be signed during Mr. Biden's visit, but a lot of people not very keen on this deal? That's right. So, yeah, he did uh, seek to ease some of those public concerns about an agreement uh, after an alleged draft copy uh, was actually leaked to several media organisations uh, in that document, it, it allowed substantial U.S. military presence in PNG, which uh, I understand got a few people a little bit unsettled. But uh, Mr. Rape said it was still a work in progress and it was yet to be approved and all that commentary around it was so far unconfirmed. Worth pointing out as well that uh, the U.S. Embassy has not uh, come out and said if those leaked documents were real uh, or not either. 
Yes, and I'm wondering whether Mr Blinken's attendance will be good enough to maintain the public holiday that's been called ahead of mm. Mr Biden's council visit. Now, to the political situation in Fiji, uh, the main opposition, Fiji First, of course, who were in power for so long, they've now been barred from Parliament. Why? Yeah, it's a great question, uh, Richard. So 24 politicians from Fiji's main opposition party, Fiji First, have been barred from sitting in Parliament after the party had its registration suspended. So that's according to the Parliament's speaker who made the announcement on Thursday. Uh, Fiji First was actually, it wasn't just them, they were one of four political parties suspended for 30 days for not submitting audited docu- uh, sorry, sorry, audited accounts. Now, I read this uh, report in Reuters. It doesn't state exactly what an audit, audited account specifically is I did I did give it a bit of bit of a Google I just know it wasn't submitted. Uh, however, it means that uh, members are not entitled to take part uh, in the proceedings of Parliament or any or any committee of Parliament for that matter for the duration of the suspension. And they also won't receive any payment from Parliament during the suspension. So yeah, a little bit more than a than a slap on the wrist. Yes, uh, pretty much what Fiji first used to do when they were in power. So uh, whether this is tit for tat by the new government, I wouldn't like to say. Now Solomon Islands officials. They insist that uh, all the venues will be ready for the Pacific Games by August, which will be handy. The Games due to start in November. That's right. The uh, the end of August uh, is the date that's been announced by Games Facilities Committee Chairman Joe Seeker. Uh, and that's when all the contractors should complete all construction work on the venues and villages and have them handed over to the National Hosting Authority. Uh, and what's better? He's, he's confident they'll be completely operational before the games get going uh, in November. So uh, this story was actually reported by the Solomon Times, uh, Solomon Island Times, and uh, they say the tiling of the pool at the Aquatic Centre has already begun. DC Park, which will host archery, uh, touch, uh, rugby, sailing, and open water swimming, that's already 90% complete. And the uh, Solomon Islands Football Federation Academy is now 90, uh, is now sorry 70% complete. And uh, and the athletes' villages, as well as those school refurbishments. The work will continue on those around the school holidays. So good to see that uh, progress is uh, is being made. Yeah, it's going to be a very big uh, sporting occasion for Solomon Islands. Could prove to be transformative, I think, for sport in that country. Carl, thanks very much indeed. Thank you, Richard. Now, we stay on the news front for now because there will be uh, celebrations in Timor-Leste tomorrow to mark the country's coming of age. It achieved independence 21 years ago after decades of Indonesian occupation and became the first new sovereign state of the 21st century. In fact, the anniversary is a day of national pride for sure, but as Marion Fire reports from Dili, there's also some tension in the air ahead of Sunday's general election. It's a time of celebration. And for war veterans like 63-year-old Amanda Ferreira, one of sorrow. We suffer so much for this country. As a young woman, she was tortured and raped at the hands of Indonesian soldiers during Timor-Leste's long struggle for independence. After 21 years of freedom, her wounds still cut deep. When I'm asked to talk about these things, I feel so much pain. But she has her eye on the future. As Timor-Leste celebrates its independence, the country is preparing to head to the polls on Sunday. Dr Michael Leach, an expert in Timorese politics from Swinburne University, says the parliamentary election is generationally significant. 
it's likely to be the final election of the 1975 generation of leaders, the great leaders that took Timor-Leste from a Portuguese colony through a 24-year Indonesian occupation to an independent country again in 2002. United decades ago in their fight for sovereignty, these war heroes are now bitter rivals. Former guerrilla commander and Timor-Leste's first president, Shanana Guzmao leads the CNRT party, the favourite according to local opinion polls. His main competitor is Mari Alkatiri, the first prime minister and head of the country's oldest political party, Fretilin. They are certainly getting older now. Shanana Guzmao will be 80 in 2026 and the others are not far behind him. Whoever does win will have a tough job ahead. The IMF has warned Timor-Leste is heading towards a fiscal cliff, with petroleum revenue expected to run dry in the next 10 years. One potential lifeline lies in the ocean between here and Australia. The Greater Sunrise Oil and Gas Project has been stalled by negotiations with Australian mining company Woodside Energy over whether to process the product in Darwin or in Timor-Leste. While both CNRT and Fretilin support domestic processing, Janana Guzmao is likely to pursue the case more aggressively. What Canberra worries about is that uh, other countries in the region might come in and help co-fund this uh, big project. China has not expressed interest in the idea, but Dr Leach says Australian officials worry that could change. This is the sort of thing that keeps some people awake at night in Canberra. But for locals in Timor-Leste, there are more pressing concerns. Jobs, the cost of living and raising the standard of health and education are key issues for young voters like Noviana Freitas. Our country still has a big problem like education, infrastructure, agriculture, health also. Noviana Freitas ending Marian Farr's report from Dili and the people of Timor-Leste will head to the polls on Sunday. Here with Pacific Beat for a Friday morning here on ABC Radio Australia. I'm Richard Hewitt and it's the Sporting Edition and we continue with Sporting News now because the FIFA Under-20 Men's World Cup kicks off in Argentina this weekend. New Zealand will be one of the first teams in action against Guatemala to be followed later in the day by the smallest nation in the tournament, Fiji, who will be up against Slovakia. It's been a bumpy ride for the young Fijian players on the road to the finals with a series of coaching changes. But as Talia Olatia reports, they're not short on confidence and they're out to improve on Fiji's efforts of eight years ago when the team won a match, but goal difference cost them a place in the knockout stage. The FIFA Under-20 World Cup is not just about representing your country, it's also a chance for young players to put themselves in the shop window. Fiji's co-captain Abdullah Ayez, who plays his club football in Sydney with the Bonnie Rig White Eagles, is well aware that this is a big career opportunity. It's a combination of excitement, a bit of nervousness and confident as well that we can get the job done, have a very good trip and make it a stepping stone into a professional career. This tournament is to um, put the nation on the world map that this is a footballing nation and our personal goal is at least some of us can procure a professional contract from Europe or Asia. Fiji's coach Bobby Mims has a long career as a top flight goalkeeper in England and featured in the FA Cup final for one of his clubs Everton. Dalkvish, McDonald into the path of Johnston and Mims did well. 
The youngster's got a lot of composure about him, David. Yes, I think Mims in his last few games for Everton has earned the respect. He's earned the respect in his own right. Mim says the level of excitement in the Fijian camp is certainly high, but he wants the team to acquit themselves well. Yes, they're definitely excited about the prospect of pitting themselves against some really good teams, but we're under no illusions that the standard of individuals and teams that we're going to play against is going to be a lot higher than they've come across in qualification and within the region. But we'd like to think that we're organised and we've got some decent talent in the team as well, so hopefully we will be competitive. Originally brought in to work with the goalkeepers, Mims took the reins as head coach at the 11th hour after the Fiji FA decided the Argentinian, Rodolfo Zapata, was not the man for the job. I've had them about six weeks now with backup from Ronil and Marika, the local coaches, and also Rob Sherman, who's just been announced as the national coach. So we like to think we've put some decent work into the lads in the last six weeks. It was difficult for the boys, really, at first as well, because i come as national goalkeeping coach and then all of a sudden I'm head coach of the 20s so it was a different role for them to accept me in but they have done and they've worked really hard and seem to have taken on board what we've been trying to do with them. Certainly we can't say they didn't get to us a bit but as a playing group we just stuck together because coaches changed, officials changed but the playing group remained the same so us boys just realised that if we stick together if we know what's right and what's wrong and if we just focus on our development we would be fine and at the end that's what happened. There's been no shortage of effort behind Fiji's World Cup build-up that began at the start of the year and Bobby Mims says the players have coped well with the demands that have been put on them. That's been the most pleasing part of it, how the squad have actually come together as a close group because it's a difficult environment for them. They've been here since January. They're away from the families. We started with 32, I think it was, so they've been whittling it down to get to the final 21. So they get bonds with the lads that have left and they're worrying about themselves as well. So it's quite a, a stressful environment for young lads. Coach Mims says the draw for the group stage of the tournament has helped to focus the players' minds. First up, it's Slovakia, then the USA, and finally Ecuador, who lost 1-0 to New Zealand in a warm-up game. The coaching staff have put together a video analysis montage on how each of the three teams we face in the pool may play. And now we've been doing our research and our analysis and we have some idea of how they would play and how they'll structure themselves. We're going out there to win games. We're not just going to go and make the numbers up. So we're trying to put together strategies of how we can score goals and how we can hurt teams and also making the lads aware of where they can hurt us. We're hoping that we'll be really prepared for it. Last time we went to the World Cup at this age group, they beat Honduras. So they've got that in their history and something to draw on as well. We have had a few of the ex-players come into the camp and speak to them about the experiences of going to that World Cup. So they know there's an opportunity for them to actually show the world that they can play. Varavo with the keeper making the slip. It's his second goal in this World Cup. Will Fiji have cause to surprise? What an opportunity to try and chip it against the bar. The follow-up finds its way in. We are on for a World Cup upset. They have scored again. One late opportunity. It's a free header. It deflects in. He'll take the credit. Well, Antonio Tabuba. What an extraordinary scoreline. From a set piece with a header that diverts him. And Fiji 
have a free goal advantage. Would you believe it? Co-captain Abdullah says the achievements of the 2015 team can inspire the current squad in Argentina. And in the long term, he believes they can push hard for a place at the Senior World Cup in 2026, when the qualification door will be open a little wider for teams from Oceania. Beating Honduras 3-0 was the limelight of Fijian football. And we just missed out on qualifications in the next round. But this time around, if we get some results going our way, then why not certainly we can make it to the next stage and cause some major upsets. The future is looking very exciting for us because Oceania before were only guaranteed half a spot. Now Oceania is guaranteed one and a half spot. And with this crop of talent that we have right now, I reckon we can push New Zealand to the brink. You know, why not grabbing the first spot for ourselves? And if not, there's another half spot. That's all for the future. But more immediately, Bobby Mims wants to see his best players shine on the world stage in Argentina. We think we've got maybe three or four really talented players within our squad. But we've definitely impressed on the lads. They have to play to a structure and be organised and understand that you're not going to go out and score loads of goals, but you've got to keep yourself in the game. And if you keep yourself in the game, that might give your talented players that chance just to do their little bit of magic for you. Bobby Mims uh, played for a number of clubs uh, over in England at the top level and indeed was capped at a similar age group level himself uh, back in the day, leading Fiji at the Under-20 World Cup in Argentina. It's uh, Slovakia first up, then USA and Ecuador. New Zealand will take on Guatemala, Uzbekistan and the host nation Argentina, the top two in each group, plus the four best third-place teams will qualify for the last 16. So uh, we wish uh, Fiji uh, the best of luck. Now, uh, the tournament was originally meant to be played in uh, Indonesia, but uh, FIFA pulled the plug uh, after a bit of a row, quite a substantial row, in fact, over Israel's involvement. Uh, The Indonesian authorities were not keen on the Israeli team travelling to Indonesia. So FIFA said enough is enough and uh, took the tournament off to Argentina instead. And we stay with the world game because it's uh, shaping up to be a thrilling final round of group play in the AFC Champions League tournament with a number of teams still in the hunt for semi-final places. Only one team, in fact, the perennial champions Auckland uh, Auckland City have cemented their place in the knockout stage with two wins to sit at the top of Group A. They're on their way to the last four, but who will join them? Well, Super FC and the Solomon Warriors uh, will look to join them when they meet for the first time ever on Saturday. A draw will be enough for Suva. They have a much better goal difference, but the Warriors manager, James Donger, knows for his team they simply have to win. Suva, they have a good side too. It's sort of like a combination of islands in the Pacific, eh? Fiji, Solomon, and Vanuatu. Yeah, they have a good side too. We just have to stick on our game plan. Have you played Suva before? When was the last time you guys would have come up against Suva? No, no. We, we never have a, a game against them in our OFC or Solomon Warriors history against uh, the Suva, uh, the Fijian teams. Oh, well, it's exciting. It sounds like it's going to be a history-making game in a lot of ways. The interesting thing about Suva, they're coming off a 3-1 loss to Auckland. You guys were actually up 1-0 against Auckland. Do you think that's a game you guys could have won? Pretty much we can say that, yeah. Probably we're going to do the same type of game that we do for Auckland City. Yeah, we we know how the Fijians play. It's sort of it's, it's sort of like Solomon, a Fijian type of game. Eh? <laughs> Is it going to be a very physical, competitive game? Do you think? Uh, yeah, not really. But they got they got heights. But we have a couple of young boys in our team. We can use them for the the offensive of the game. Yeah. 
Uh, speaking of some of your players, uh, you, you've got Harrison Marler, who's who's been playing very well, kicked a goal last game. I understand yeah. he's a he's a Vanuatu boy. Is that right? No, he's from Solomon, but he used to play for one of the Vanuatu team a couple of years ago. Has he enjoyed being back in Vanuatu playing soccer? Yeah, yeah. He, he met a lot of his uh, friends too over here. <laughs> Just looking forward in the tournament, would you say that Auckland FC, they're probably the team to beat at the moment? I would say, yeah, because uh, if you've been for champion for, for a long time in the league, every team wants to beat you. Eh? It's a competition. Like uh, everybody wants to be at the top. Like if you've been there for uh, know how and plan how to beat you, yeah. And uh, mm. and what about the uh, the other side of the pool? If you are lucky enough to make the semi final, you'll come up against some of those good teams from you know Tahiti and PNG. What do you make of those teams? Well, uh, we've been playing against some of the uh, uh, Tahitian teams already. We've been beat them a couple of times. Yeah, they have a good side too. Eh? Yeah, we we can't predict much that we're gonna beat them, but we we're just gonna stick to our game plans. And just lastly, last time I spoke to the coach of your club, he mentioned this is your first time back in the OFC Champions League for quite some time. Is it exciting to be back here and just playing and being amongst it all? Yeah, yeah, we really want to get to the finals. It's just like uh, same to other teams, but it's about five or six times we've been to the OFC competition league already. So really, want, we really want to get to the top two. Yeah, and similar to the Solomon Islands, I know soccer is very big in Vanuatu. What's the atmosphere been like? Has there been lots of fans turning out to games? Oh, awesome, awesome, awesome. It's almost like Solomon, like uh, we've seen when it comes to Solomon. I can see uh, it's reminding me, reminding me of uh, back at home, eh? OFC and uh, soccer, is, it's almost like uh, in, in Vanuatu. It's great. I can see a lot of number of people, huge uh, crowd coming in to support both sides of the teams. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's good to see they've been turning out in good numbers for the OFC Champions League in Vanuatu. Uh, James Donger there, Solomon Warriors uh, team manager, talking to Carl Evans. And uh, in Group B, uh, all, 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 both semi-final spots are still up for grabs. Currently, AS Parade from Tahiti topped the group ahead of Hakari United from PNG, Tiga Sport from New Caledonia third, and Ifira Blackbird, the host nation's representatives, they're currently fourth, but... Depending on how the games go over the weekend, with Perea against Takari Tiga against Ifiri, Ifiri could still qualify for the semi-finals. If they don't, well, they'll be regretting throwing away a two-goal lead against AS Perea in their second group match played yesterday. ABC Radio Australia brings you Rugby League. O'Sullivan to Dylan Edwards, throw a gap, he's got a score! Every big moment across a massive season. It's hammer time for the That was amazing footwork. Brilliant. The latest news and expert opinion on everything rugby league. We're loving rugby league in 2023. Stream online at ABC Pacific. Or listen live right here on ABC Radio Australia, your home of rugby league in the Pacific. 
You're with Pacific Beach on the Friday morning Sporting Edition. I'm Richard Hewitt. And on the sports show last week, we heard from the president of Vanuatu Tennis, Cyril Mangi, who accused the country's sports commission of betrayal. His word after three of the six courts they had been using at Corman Stadium were taken away from them, apparently, without warning. Those courts have been repurposed for futsal, with the national team preparing for World Cup qualifying matches later this year. But Russell Tamata, chairman of the sports commission, paints a different picture of how these changes came about. Right now, he says all the courts are out of action because of cyclone damage and there are questions about unpaid fees and miscommunication, but he intends to put matters right in coming days. At the moment, all the courts, you haven't fixed them. And the courts actually uh, are still for the Financial Sports Commission. We have had MOUs with them last two years. We haven't signed anything and they haven't even paid their dues for 2023. This is probably some miss, I don't know. But for us, it is an internal issue with us and National Tennis Federation. But unfortunately, it was off with the media. But I think we will uh, get in touch with them shortly to sort out the different So just to clarify, two things appear to have happened here. One, there were repairs that needed to take place after the cyclones. And secondly, you've made some of the courts temporarily available for futsal, but the intention is to hand them back to tennis at some point? Yeah, I mean, these are our courts. These are multi-purpose courts. You can turn them into futsal, you can turn them into hockey or any one of those, just because at the time they were using the six courts by the tennis. So to answer your question, yes, these are only temporary measures that we have uh, done just to allow futsal to your national team to use to prepare themselves for the qualifying round. But uh, this is not a permanent decision. It's only a temporary one. So there does appear, as you suggested, to have been something of a communication breakdown here, but it seems to have taken a while to recognise that fact. Otherwise, presumably, Tennis Vanuatu would not have put out the public statement that they did. I was about to call the meeting last week to see what was the story. But when when I learned about the CEO came and said that, you know, they haven't paid their dues, they haven't even made any commitment for this year. So then when they left, we thought that they left. So is there some suggestion perhaps that there's uh, been a bit of an oversight on, on Tennis Vanuatu's part in the fact, as you say, they hadn't paid their dues? Yeah, I mean, for this year, they haven't paid their dues, that I can confirm. They cannot say that we have this course and this is our course you have been playing for. Obviously, this course, this is our, our property. This is for the National Sports Commission and it's for all the NS. We can confirm them any time if it's needed and we can convert them back to where the originals are. I just spoke to the hockey team. We'll be discussing with them. I want to discuss with them if they have somebody in any NFs having qualifying uh, the Korans for the uh, World Cup or the Olympics and they needed to use that. We will always use that. Given that from our experience, the National Tennis Federation only used three of the six courts that we have. And so we think that to maximize the use of these courts, it's not wrong to confer the other trees. The courts are under the, the jurisdictions of the commission. Was it, though, actually necessary to reallocate the courts to futsal when I believe a deal has just been done between Football Federation Vanuatu and the Sports Commission to use indoor facilities, I think also at Corman? Well, you know, we've just gone through two devastating cyclones. So all our indoor facilities are actually occupied. The one that we plan to use is actually damaged. The floors are damaged. And the one that is a little bit better, the National Disaster Office is using to store the relief supplies. So we can do much. That's the only option we have now to support them is these courts. So this is the only option that we can help them with. So I think we come back to the communication issue, don't we? Perhaps what this needs is all parties to be brought together and kind of explanation that you've 
just given to me now needs to be given to them. And you would hope from there on people can move on peacefully. Yeah. That's exactly. I haven't been communicating with the media. This is my first time communicating, but this is what I'm planning to do, to call them in and then see. I think there are some misunderstandings and miscommunications between the two. So I think for, as far as the, as a chairman of the Central Sports Commission, I think these are the two issues that I have now with me. I think it's a, what I call it an internal sports issue of Vanuatu, but unfortunately it was out in the media and it causes a lot of uh, speculations from both sides. But I think next week we should be sorting it out. I was uh, hoping to get uh, in touch with the president of the tennis, in touch with my CEO already. So I will be in touch with the president of the Tennis Federation, Vanuatu, and we should sort it out properly. Just to make the point about uh, Vanuatu's ability to recover after a cyclone, I think the biggest demonstration of that, of course, was when you hosted the Pacific Mini Games back in 2017. But right now, not so very long after two cyclones, you're hosting the OFC Champions League soccer. Vanuatu is a very resilient country, isn't it? Yes, I think we are. We are. I think, uh, yeah. We are used to cyclones and we always, uh, you know, lift our heads up and, uh, you know, we are always smiling. Whatever we can do, uh, well, then we go ahead and do what we plan to do. The government has supported OFC, stand with OFC very closely with the current tournament going on. And uh, yeah, we have uh, also preparing for other ones for the beach volleyball coming, the continental coming in September. And also like now we are supporting the boys for the qualifying round as well for the beach soccer. So yeah, I think yeah, you're right in a way. Yeah. We're a very resilient country. We do not limit ourselves to uh, what the natural disasters can give us, but we always have our own ways to sort ourselves and uh, keep doing what we want to do. Yeah, and they do it pretty well. Russell Tamata, chairman of the Vanuatu Sports Commission. Just a word on Rugby League. PNG Hunters on the road again this weekend, looking to restore some pride after their 54-4 to drubbing at the hands of the Blackhawks in round nine. This week, the Hunters in 10th place on the Queensland Cup ladder are up against Wynnum Manly Seagulls in ninth. Meanwhile, the Kaviti Silktails are back in La Toca for their round nine match against St Mary's in the Ron Massey Cup. The team will include three players, a prop Malakai Kovakalau, fullback to Timothy Bola and centre Ratu Tamesia Gile Vetevete, who have rejoined the side from Queensland Cup team Ipswich Jets. This to comply with their visa conditions, apparently. It's good news for the Silktails to get them back. And six of the team's next eight games will be in Fiji. So they're hoping to generate some momentum and push for a place in finals, which they missed out on narrowly last season. And if you hadn't heard, the Rugby League World Cup schedule for France in 2025 has been called off. They're now looking for alternative venues. And apparently Fiji have put their hat in the ring. I don't think they can host the whole tournament, but maybe host a pool. Wouldn't that be good? And that's it from this edition of Pacific Beat for this uh, Friday morning. The afternoon show will be along at 5 past 3 PNG time this afternoon. And then we start uh, all over again on Monday morning, 5 past 6 uh, PNG time, including uh, news from the Timor-Leste election with the people of that country going to the polls on Sunday. Have a great sporting weekend. I'm Richard Hewitt. Thanks for your company. 